I don't know if you know who Charles Finney is, but he's a, a revi revivalist from the early, uh, from the 19th century, and he's probably the most well-noted revivalist from the 19th century. 250,000 converts, and what would happen is he would, he was so under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like the weight of the fear of the Lord, that he would walk in, there's this story of him walking into a factory, and this woman made a joke about another woman that they were working there and he just looked at her with sadness in his eyes because she had made fun of another woman and she could not shake it the look on his face he didn't say one word and she w was trying to you know put it off put it off but by the middle of the day she broke down in tears giving her life to the lord the owner of the factory stopped the whole day of work and turned it into a prayer meeting and nearly all 300 or 3,000, I can't remember, I know, it's oh, it says right here, let me get the right number, they all get saved. And it was nothing other than that he walked in this tangible presence of God and he, the, the fear of the Lord, conviction of sin, which is kind of an intense stuff. We don't talk too much about that because it's uncomfortable, you know, we're talking about 3,000. Yeah, it was 3,000. I didn't want to overestimate. We're uh, converted in one day, just like the book of Acts, right? By one person walking under that weight. And um, so that's who this guy is. And some of the stuff he writes is kind of like he uses forms and stuff. And so you got to have to weed through any person, no matter how powerful, no matter how anointed, we always have to test what people say, right? And test it by the word of God and make sure it's coming from this place. And then we allow, take what's good and allow it to transform our lives and push us into the Lord, push us into his heart. And something I want to, I've been reading through this and it's been so piercing my heart in a lot of ways. And um, as I was reading and praying this morning, um, these things I felt like were just timely where God has us. And I want to read a couple of things that he writes, and then we're going to talk just a little bit about it. But um, so this is from his book, How to Experience Revival. And it's just a compilation of a bunch of different things he said through different sermons and circumstances, journals, etc. Um, and so this is titled Understanding God's Direction. There was a woman in New Jersey living in a town where there had just been a revival. She was positive there was going to be another. She wanted to arrange conference meetings, but the minister and elders saw nothing to encourage a revival, so they did nothing. She saw they were blind, so she got a carpenter to make seats for her house where she would have the meetings. There was certainly going to be a revival. She scarcely opened her doors for the meetings when the Spirit of God came down with great power and these sleepy Christians found themselves surrounded all at once with convicted sinners. So this woman built chairs in her house, convinced, even though there had just been a revival, she said, another's coming, another wave. Now that's faith, that's seeing into the future, so much so that even when her leader said, it's not going to happen, she thought, no, I know. You know, when you know in your spirit, it's going to happen. So she went and had someone build seats in her home. When she opened up the doors and there was a few Christians gathered, 
immediately they were flooded with convicted sinners. Can you imagine that happening? Where all of a sudden we're gathering together on a Sunday morning. Nobody's expecting anything. And all of a sudden the room is packed with people weeping and crying before the Lord because of their sin in repentance. They could only say, surely the Lord is in this place and we knew it not, which is from Genesis 28, 16. People like this woman understand the direction of God's will because the spirit of God leads them to the understanding, not because they are so wise. The Lord's wisdom shows them how events are all leading to a particular result. And then it goes into about the spirit making intercession with groanings that are too deep to be uttered. It's something so deep on the inside of you. There's not even language for it. Right. We know the leading of the spirit because as believers, we've received of the spirit. Right. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am sending you my spirit, which he considered was better than himself present. That's incredible. Jesus was saying, I need to go so that you can receive from on high the spirit of the living God inside of you, which is better than having me in person with you. Because if he's in person with us, he can literally only be at one place at a time where the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us leads every child of God into the promises, into the will of God, into truth. That spirit, the fullness of God, dwells inside of us. And I was thinking about this. We've been believing for God to come in power, right? When we were first meeting together even, every time we met, there was this expectancy. Like, we don't know what's going to happen, but something's about to happen. When we pray, when we gather, when we worship, it's the same feeling. It's like nothing in the natural looks like anything's going to happen, right? If you were to look in the natural today at our group or our community or what's happening, you'd be like, oh, it doesn't look like too much. But the spirit on the inside testifies to the will and promise of God that it is coming. And so you gather in expectancy and God responds to that. He responds to that faith inside of us that stirs us to come every time and say yes and amen to the promises and the will of God. Here we are, God. We welcome in. And I wait for the day. I wait for the day longing, expectantly watching for when many sinners come in under the conviction of the Spirit of God. How amazing is that day going to be when we're flooded with people that are on their faces before God because they recognize they need a Savior. And then we realize this is the fulfillment of the promise that what we waged for, that's what we prayed for, that's what we waited for. The fulfillment is here and there'll be great rejoicing among among us that says God is surely in this place. He has fulfilled his promises. He has fulfilled the dreams, the words, every prayer that's been prayed over this property from this place. God has heard it. He has not forgotten. He did not have deaf ears. 
He has heard every single prayer from the past decade going up from this place, the past three years specifically from this place. He heard every single prayer, every single prophetic word did not fall to the ground void. Isaiah says that the word of the Lord accomplishes, that sends forth from his mouth, it will accomplish what it sends forth to accomplish. It will not fall to the ground void. And we're believing that together we need to be like this woman. We come together expectant, fulfilling by the Spirit. And it's not something, it says here, it's not something she did in her own wisdom. It was by the Spirit. And that's a key point. Because it's not a striving, you know, striving to contrive something like, oh, I've got to strive to hope. I've got to strive to have faith. No, we need to stir up the spirit inside of us that produces faith and it produces hope. As we worship God, as we fix our eyes on him, it produces this expectancy of, wow, why would I look at the ocean in front of me or the sea in front of me when this great God has split the seas? He's done it before. He will do it again. This is who he is. And then this next quote on binding prayer. Now we spend and we talk a lot about prayer, right? Because we know that it's something that moves and shakes in the spiritual realm. It's not just gather together, have fancy words, and then leave. We're coming together and because of our faith, because of our faith, because we believe in the promises of God, we will gather together to pray it in, to partner with God. This is what Kenny writes. This travailing prayer, what he ended on with the travailing of the spirit, the groanings, this travailing in prayer for souls also creates a bond between warm-hearted Christians and the young converts. So that prayer that groaning, that deep prayer by the Spirit, it's not only going to break in the spiritual realm what needs to be broken and open up the doors, but it also produces in us, this. he says, this warm-hearted bond between us and the new converts, right? And can you imagine that day when they all come in and they're undone by the presence of God, his goodness, we will have such a bond to them because we prayed for them, because we prayed them into a place of encounter that we say, oh, my gosh, these are like our children now. These are our children, and we need to disciple them, and we need to teach them, and we need to show them and protect them and provide family for them and community for them. We're not going to be like, oh, you're on your own now. That doesn't even make sense because we labored so hard. When a woman labors, giving birth to a child, there's not only the nine months of carrying the child, which is also likened to prayer. We carry the seed inside of us. There's groanings, and then it comes to the place of birthing. There's no way that after that the woman would be like, you're on your own now, kid. I can't feed you. Yeah, I'm not waking up when you wake up in the night. No way. The mom, no matter how hard it is, no matter how exhausting it is, is like, this is my baby. The parents, this is our child. We must nurture. 
because they can't do it on their own. That's what it's going to be like. We're, we'll be so connected. Those who are converted are very dear to those who have had the spirit of prayer for them. The feeling, oh, he does say it. Maybe this is where it, what triggered my mind. The feeling is like that of a mother for her firstborn child. Paul expresses it beautifully when he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. That's Galatians 4.19. Paul says, my children who I travail in giving birth. Very interesting. They had backslidden and he had suffered all the agonies of a parent over a wandering child. I have often noticed how those who had the spirit of prayer loved the young converts, but to those who have never felt this love, what I have described does not make sense, which I don't believe is any of us here today. I think we all relate and can understand exactly what was written. Another reason God requires the sort of this sort of prayer is that it is the only way in which the church can be properly prepared to receive great blessings without being injured by them. That was really hit me. The reason why this prayer, this type of prayer is so important is because it's the only way that we can receive the blessing of God without it injuring us because it prepares us. Basically, it's saying it's preparing us to receive the blessing of God because the blessing of God can turn into a curse. Now, that sounds intense, but if you read from Hosea, it says that they began to worship the blessing. God had given them new wine, new oil, and they said, oh my gosh, they turned their eyes to the blessing and then began to offer sacrifices to the new wine and the new oil. That sounds so absurd, but that's what we do, right? It just looks differently in our lives. We begin to worship the blessing of God in our lives instead of worshiping God, the blessing giver. <coughs> so when we posture our hearts in prayer, we continue to see that it came from him, and we're able to receive that without it injuring us. When the church is prostrated in the dust before God, and is in the depths of agony and prayer, the blessing does it good. And that's so true. When you think about travailing in prayer and you're on your face and you recognize you've been stripped of all your strengths, of all your abilities, nothing you do in the natural makes anything happen. You're stripped of it all and you're laid bare before God and you say, God, we can't do anything without you. Oh my goodness, we need you to come then that blessing comes and it does so good for your soul. And you rejoice in the faithfulness of God, the greatness of God. He came through. And that's a lot of times why God allows us to be so stripped bare. You wonder, like, oh, I hate that process of being weak and stripped and feel like, oh, I have nothing to offer and, oh, I have nothing to give. But that is such an important process in the Lord, because it prepares us to receive that blessing and then not turn to the blessing and be a worshiper of the blessing. But we continue to see from God, we become worshipers of the faithfulness of God, testaments, right, of his faithfulness. 
while at the same time if the church received the blessing without this deep humility of soul, it would have grown puffed up with pride. But as it is, it increases in holiness, love, and humility. I just want to keep reading, but I won't because I'll read the whole book and it's <laughs> it's so good. If you want to borrow it, you can also be cut to the heart. <laughs> like I read, I, I was reading it the other day and I had to stop a couple times. Things made me laugh because of how intense they were. But I said, Tommy, I got to read this to you. This is like this guy's crazy. Um, but again, you have to take what's good and discard what might be him, you know, also. We're all humans. Nobody's perfect, and nobody says anything perfectly. So you take what's the Lord's. But anyway, this is the point. This is where we're at as a body. I, and that's why I felt like God wanted to encourage us this morning that we need to press in in this prevailing, travailing prayer, this place of faith where we're literally looking out to see what's not seen. We get to look out and see what's not seen yet and call it in by our faith. And the fact is us gathering here on Sundays or any other day where we gather as the church, we're saying we believe. We believe. We don't have to strive for it. Us gathering here is a, is a shout in the spirit that says, hey, God, we're here. We believe. We're watching. We're waiting. And we're going to worship you while we wait. We're going to pray while we wait, just like the disciples in the upper room. They waited and watched. What were they doing? They were praying. They were worshiping. He's worthy. Oh, we have nothing else to do because we're going to wait here. A hundred and twenty of them waiting in the upper room together, just watching and waiting. When's it going to happen? Does anyone remember how many days was it? Fifty? that they were waiting in the upper room? So maybe 50-ish. A month. Over a month waiting together in one room, just worshiping, saying, we know something's going to come. And that would seem probably like a really long time for them because Jesus had said, wait for this thing to come. And I would think, okay, you're leaving. It's coming in like five days. And then we're going to be out of here, you know? And it keeps delaying and delaying. You're expecting, okay, he's saying to wait. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's the next day. So a month or 40 days could seem like a pretty long time, right? Just waiting together. All that you're doing is worshiping and praying 24-7. But that's what we're doing here. We're, we're of that same tribe, of that same spirit that says, God, we believe. We know there's a promise here, and we're not giving up on the promise because you didn't give up on us, and you will be faithful to complete the work that you have begun here. And it's exciting, you know. I, I want this to be more of like this encouragement of what we're doing here is like just gathering, just worshiping, just praying. It's, it's this huge shout in the spirit that's shaking, that's declaring, we believe, we believe, we believe. And we're waiting for souls. We're watching for souls, for God to come in power, for revival. And that's what God, just like that woman in New Jersey, that's what God sees and responds to is faith. 
who sees the faith and says, oh, I see it right there. I hear Carmel, Maine's calling me. Damascus Road, they're calling me with their faith. It's loud in the spirit. It's loud in the spirit. So we want to be cultivating that more and more, you know, because if we're getting ready for harvest for souls, we need to prepare our hearts, right? Just like he was saying, we need to prepare it so it doesn't injure us. We want it, the blessing to truly be a blessing, an increase in love and holiness and, and community here as a family. And it's as we pray together. It's as we come together in prayer, as we commune together as a family. We're not just here on a Sunday just to come to a service and kind of go through the motions of a service. We're a family here. We love each other. We care about each other. When someone's hurting, hey, I'm here for you. In whatever way I can be, I'm going to be here for you. You tell me you need something, I'm going to be the first one to say, hmm, can I fulfill the need? Because you're my family. That's how we are with each other. That's our hearts for one another. And that will draw the world in. His presence among us, our love for one another. I, I got a picture while I was praying this morning. I talked with Tommy about it. And we went back and forth whether we should do it or not today. But I'm just feeling like we should. So, um, And it's nothing huge. It's just that I got a picture while I was praying of the girls sitting with the girls to pray with another and the guys sitting with the guys. Um, and just having a time to share maybe something on your heart that you want prayer for. Maybe like whatever. It could be surfacy. It could be deep. Whatever you pull is fine. But the purpose of this, we really want to get deeper with one another, right? We want to know each other deeper. I know that that's a longing of my heart is to know each one of you deeper and deeper. To, like, to really know you, not just like have fun together, which I love having fun together. But you have so much more fun when you really connect with someone on a deeper level where I know what hurts you what makes you feel depressed, what makes you feel lonely, what's hard, what makes you feel happy, what makes you feel loved. Like, these are the things we're going after. Like, that type of connection, relationship, family, family. So we're going to just split up girls and guys. doesn't have to be super long or drawn out or anything. It's just share what's on your heart, pray with one another so that we can be encouraged in the Lord and have building more of these friendships with one another. Okay? Sound good? Yeah?
just put that on the recording. Maybe Michaela just got very similar things. Marie was saying that she, it kept going over and over in her mind during this time that we may be small, but there's a lot of power here. And it's growing every time. There's power here. And that's so true. And Kayla had the testimony of confirmation that she, when she was down in the bathroom, it's her Sunday, and she thought, wow, this place is small. (laughs) And the Lord said, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. And she said, wow, that's so true. Like wherever I am carrying the presence, carrying who he is, even if there's only five people, and she didn't know there were only five of us, even if there's only five people, there I am, power in the midst. She comes up and sees five people and says, whoa, thus saith the Lord, you know, confirmed. So we say yes and amen. We know that. It's like we carry the fullness of the spirit, and that's awesome. We love it. I love it. I love what we have here as a family. It's amazing what God's doing, and um, and he's just going to increase that through our faith, which is exciting. So, Father, seal these things in our hearts, and I pray that you would just bless our prayer times together, um, that they would be fruitful and really do something deep in us today. God, we want it more. We love you so much, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.